Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week, I am so excited to be joined by comedian and actor Jack Barry. You might have seen him in Mae Martin's Feel Good on Netflix, or the Russell Howard Hour, or The Duchess, or many other things. If you were recently at the Edinburgh Fringe, you might have also seen him performing there. Today, he joins me on the show to discuss the world of stand-up comedy, turning your romantic life into jokes, and so much more. So, let's get started. Hello, Jack. How are you? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, So for those who aren't familiar with your comedy and what you do, could you start us off just by introducing yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, I've been doing, uh, I've been writing stand-up and um, various comedy sort of online shorts and things like that for the last few years. Um, I used to do a double act called Twins, which people might have seen at the Edinburgh Fringe a few years ago. So yeah, I've just got back from the fringe. It was my eleventh fringe. I've been doing. Oh wow! It. Yeah, I've been doing it since I was a student. I used to do sort of like kooky sketch comedy when I was a, a plucky young student, and then I've been doing sort of stand-up shows up there for the last six years or so, and uh, I do little bits of acting as you mentioned, and yeah, that's I suppose that sort of sums it up. I also like to read. <laughs> what kind of things do you read what are you reading oh i just said that as a joke i don't really <laughs> I, uh, I read a lot of sci-fi at the moment i'm reading some sci-fi i've been reading uh um yeah just um uh some some escapism post fringe needed to needed to switch off a little bit yeah so i wanted to ask you about the fringe because it's so intense isn't it do you perform for the whole month yeah, so you do your, you have your sort of hour slot that you do every day for the month. Most people take one day off in the middle, which sort of helps, but it sort of slows you down as well. And then you end up doing sort of other little, and it doesn't sound like a lot just working an hour a day, but there's sort of always other bits that you do. And No, it, it does. It sounds really intense. Yeah. How, how did it go? How was the crowd? Were some performances better than others? Did you get many hecklers? Oh, always. Always some performances better than others. So this year was great fun. Though. I really liked my show and it was really fun. And some of the shows were my favourite shows that I've ever done. Um, I think generally, from what I've heard, actually, audience numbers were down um, sort of post-pandemic, someone told me that there was 25% less, 600,000 less tickets sold at this fringe than in 2019. So it did feel a little bit quieter, but for the most part, I, I had great crowds, really nice audiences. Um, there was a bin strike. I don't know if you've seen, that's been in the news a lot. So that gave everything a vaguely apocalyptic vibe. Like in the last week, it was a bit Mad Max. There was like t- like tidal waves and tsunamis of like rubbish, like everywhere. And there's just, that was kind of that kind of gave it a bit of a, a bit of an edge, but um, for the most part, it was a really fun year. Um, I was living with a great group of other comedians, um, Lou Sanders, Ray Badran, and um, a sort of cycle of Rob Carter, Luke McQueen, and Lucy Pierman. We had a great group, 
and um so it was very wholesome fringe I was doing lots of like yoga in the garden and and sort of things to keep me mindful and not lose my mind I feel like I just I mean I know you say that it doesn't sound like a lot of work I mean I think it does sound like a lot of work doing a performance every night for a month but like you must have to really take care of yourself and I feel like that's almost the antithesis to what people think of the world of comedy because it's always late night gigs and it's boozy and it's big drinking and it's and it's and it actually you can't sustain that for a month if you're performing well no I mean some people do and some people try to and when I was younger I used to manage it like like I say when I was going when I was a student we'd sort of be out until five o'clock in the morning every night and then you'd be up handing out flyers the next day but I can't I can't do it anymore and there's you know there's I think you either really lean into that as like and I think I've, I've seen other comedians sort of um struggle a bit with the alcohol intake so I just sort of decided this year I was gonna like make sure it helped I had a late show I was on at like 10 40 at night this year so by the time I'd come out and had one beer it was already too late so I'd just go home and uh we did 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 make it a bit safer I think um but yeah I think it, it yeah I, I sort of realized quite early on doing this job I used to need like four pints every single time I did a gig otherwise I'd be too nervous to get on stage and then I sort of realized, well, hang on, if I'm having four pints before work every day, I go to work, then that's going to be a problem. So I, I, I forced myself to be able to do it without alcohol a few years ago. And thankfully, I can still manage that. That sounds like a very good approach. Yeah. Um, now, as I mentioned in the intro, some people might recognize you from Feel Good, which is a show that I just absolutely adored. Um and I know you've done some stand-up with May in the past, and I yeah. read somewhere that May once introduced you on stage as someone that they'd had a threesome with. Yes, very <laughs> helpfully. Yeah, yeah. They like, <laughs> they like to drop me in things like that sometimes when we're getting together. <laughs> How so, long have you guys known each other? Uh, we've known each other for about 10 years now, I think. Met, met at the Fringe um, uh, in the same sort of way, and then just sort of, for a few years, I remember going to Latitude with May, like a couple of years after we'd met, and May sort of quite earnestly said, "Can we be friends?" And so then that was sort of that was the start, really. And um, we had a gig in in Leeds together once. I remember, and like I woke and we got quite drunk after the show, and I just woke up with like a reminder on my phone the next day that May Martin is the coolest person you've ever met. And so it was like th- those sorts of things sort of like fostered like a good friendship, and. Um, and yeah, and then so yeah, I, I supported them on tour for their UK tour at the end of last year, which was great fun. And nice. um, no, I love them very much. They're one of my favorite people. And I want to ask you a bit about, you know, how you talk about sex and relationships in your stand up, because I know it's something that you do frequently. And, you know, I ask any kind of writer, comic, or, you know, journalist who comes on this show who writes about sex and relationships and talks about their personal life, how you go about navigating, turning real human stories into material. And I think it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult process, particularly when your stories often involve other people. Um, I think everyone has like a different approach to it. I know I certainly have my own approach to it, but I'm interested to hear how you go about it and how you kind of impose those boundaries around it as well. Yeah, I think it's something that you have to be careful with. And I don't know, I sort of feel especially nervous as a man sort of treading this thing. I think there's always um, a slight um, obvious power imbalance with my privilege of being a man. So I want to be really careful. So like I would never 
have said on stage that I'd had a threesome with May. But like, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have felt like I had the power to do that. But then once May mentioned it, it's like, okay, well, you put it out there. That's, that's for you. And I'm fine with that. Um, and so that's sort of how I, that's sort of how I approach it really. I'd never sort of say anything um, about a name of anybody that I'd ever had like a, a sexual relationship with, unless they had sort of done it first. Um, I, I talk about my partner a lot, Martina, um, who's my, my, um, yeah, my main sexual partner, I suppose is a really weird way of putting it. But, um, and obviously I talk a lot about my relationship with her and I do check in with her about stuff, like if she's okay, if she's comfortable with me, but thankfully she's extremely supportive and, uh, and finds it quite funny to hear me talk about our sex life on stage. So, um, I wouldn't ever, yeah, I wouldn't ever say anything on stage that she wasn't comfortable with and that I hadn't checked first. Um, but yeah, even sort of coming on, on podcasts like this and talking to her about it, sometimes we have like a little sort of uh, chat beforehand about what might come up and what's what's good to say and what would be better not to say. Um, I think it's something that you've got to be really careful with. Um, the only, the only yeah, I, I did a show a few years ago about my parents' marriage, which was the sort of diciest uh, show I felt like in terms of, talking about other people's situation but and and I and I, I'm sort of embarrassed to say it now but it, it sort of came from like a, it's a place of frustration for me my parents were basically like having trouble with their marriage and um and I just sort of kept on telling them they needed to go and talk to a professional like a couples therapist or something and and neither of them believe in therapy and couldn't understand why they'd bother to go and see a couples therapist couple of therapists isn't going to know us as well as you do you know us so you'll know and so they kept on sort of using me for three free therapy and after a while I thought well if you're going to do this then I'm, I may as well get a show out of it so I sort of started talking about how I'd been their couples therapist in my show which I think at first they were a little bit annoyed about but then actually I think it was um I think it was the independent wanted to do a story about them at the fringe and suddenly they they were all okay with it they, they... <laughs> I love that and did it did it help did, did it help them get to a better place do you think? I, think I think it did for a while I think um I think the problem is well I hope my parents don't listen to this but, but basically I, I I do think they have a problem with communication and I think maybe and I don't want to generalize but I do think um maybe quite a few um older people I mean I don't want to be ages but from what from my experiences I feel like our generation and the generation below us are even better at like communicating and and, and talking about their feelings and um and I think uh yeah it helped for a time because they had me as a conduit to sort of communicate with each other but actually what they really need is to carry on to and I, I I haven't been that conduit for the last few years so things have sort of built up again and really they need to talk to each other I think that's what a couples therapist does really it just helps you to say things that might be too awkward to say in a one-on-one -on -one situation especially once you've been with someone for 40 years and sometimes you've built up these defenses and you don't want to you know if anyone if you ever feel if anyone ever sort of really says how they're feeling I think people can feel attacked and can feel um defensive 
that's what I see in my parents' relationship anyway. Was there anything when you were doing that show and when you were kind of leading up to that show, were there any things that you noticed in your parents' relationship that kind of made you reflect on your own relationship and think, oh, this is something that I'm going to take and learn from? Definitely, definitely, 100%. And I, and um, and that was sort of how my partner and I ended up being um, non-monogamous, really. It was it, that almost, it, it started off as like a fun thing and it was like, oh, we'll have some threesomes with with friends and like me and uh and um and that was really fun and then it was sort of like oh well, what would it be like if if the other person wasn't there and then it was sort of like looking at oh well if we are going to be together for the next 40 years which I hope we both hope we are um it seems like this might be a good way to um alleviate some of the pressure on a relationship um not to feel like one person has to provide you with all of your needs. Um, and that was so, so it, that did sort of come from um, observing my parents. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I think you should. Yeah. I, I, I'm always sort of trying to learn from watching my parents, I suppose. Don't you like uh, sort of what you end up talking about a lot in therapy, isn't it? You, you, oh God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously your parents set, the precedent for all of your romantic relationships from such an early age. I don't know if you've read that attachment book. I haven't. I keep hearing about this though. People keep talking to me about it. It's so interesting. And you just, and you know, there's obviously the Philip Larkin poem, they fuck you up, your mom and dad, and they really do. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All of my problems in my relationships, they're very well my parents. I mean, my kids are divorced. My kids, my parents are divorced. Yeah. Um, My dad moved away from a very young age. So I know that there's a lot of like abandonment stuff and anxiety, attachment issues. And all yeah, that yeah. Stuff. Well, I think my parents probably should have got divorced about <laughs> 10 years ago. But but and, and, and have sort of taught me that like toughing it out is not necessarily the best thing to do. Mm. Um, and I think well, that can teach you. you that can also teach you. And the important thing to say is it's not their fault, you know, like. No, of course not. Like I don't blame them. I don't feel angry with them. It's just that's life isn't it it's an impossible job and raising a kid is it's impossible not to impart some kind of weirdness or like insecurities Mm. or all of your baggage that you have you have to put it on them don't you yeah Um, I want to ask you a bit about um non-monogamy because I think it's so interesting that this is becoming much more common particularly among um people our generation and younger as well um and I think it's something that people have a lot of misconceptions around Um, yeah I think when people hear the word polyamory, they think of people just kind of shagging around. And I think a lot of people assume it's sort of an excuse to get away with cheating as well. There's a lot of like yeah. misunderstandings around it. But I think the way that you put it, 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 it helps to make a lot of sense that actually, and also when you break it down, it's almost like monogamy is the thing that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, really. I mean, it's it's if you sort of look at the history of monogamy and even the sort of biology of of humans and and um, I mean, there's all these sort of amazing theories about like uh, genital sizes and apes and you know, like sort of apes with larger genitals tend to um, be more polyamorous uh, than the ones with smaller genitals and, and comparatively humans have bigger genitals and it's there's all these sorts of things um, and uh, I can't remember where I was going with that but I, I, I do think I do think a lot of people have like 
there's a lot of people who have like um the cliches of polyamory in their head i think like oh one person wants it more than the other you know they they basically they they don't think the relationship's working so this is like a halfway house to breaking up you know they start shagging around um before they they break up and and um i hope that we're we just sort of from a lot of communication and a lot of talking it just sort of organically evolved this situation with me and my partner mm. and it's um and it's really not it's not perfect by any means and i'm not saying it's easy and there's things that you have to deal with especially with like jealousy or like your insecurities if your partner goes with somebody else and um but monogamy isn't 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 an easy ride either and I think, I don't know if monogamy is necessarily outdated, but I certainly think the idea that that should be the default is outdated. I think <clears throat> we know now that there's so many different ways to live your life. You know, people can be men or women or trans or non-binary or anything, and they can be pansexual or, or asexual, or there's all these different ways for humans to be. And so the, the, the relationships that humans can be in, it would make sense that there can be as infinite different possibilities as well and i think even saying like we're polyamorous like there's lots of different way versions of polyamory as well and i think really the main thing is just like constant communication with your partner to figure out what works best for you hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What you said about you know communication is obviously the most important thing and i think that is often the thing that is lacking in a lot of monogamous relationships yeah and particularly when it comes to things like cheating um you know that obviously leads to a lot of lying and a lot of dishonesty and deception and so i think yeah really that that's the worst off. thing that's the that yeah. like the just having sex with somebody else that's not really that doesn't actually change anything in your relationship with your partner like mm -hmm. you know they don't come back with some big mark on their body like you know i've been touched by another person it's the lying and it's the deceit that causes your your relationship to fall apart and mm. um and yeah it's i just think jealousy like anything else is a sort of it's a it's a learned behavior and and we sort of get taught that this is how we should feel about things and i think you can unpick it as well and it's just a bad habit that we've all sort of got into 
And like you say, it's just like, I think with a lot of monogamy, it's like, I think people just switch off in a monogamous relationship sometimes. It's like, well, I've got this person and we're together now and that's it. And we don't need to think about it anymore. And I think that is what um, causes, sort of leads to people getting frustrated sometimes in monogamous relationships because then they don't continue that dialogue of what do we want? What do we need? Definitely. And I think, you know, often what happens is then if that person is, is in a monogamous relationship, you know, like you say, by default, and then they find themselves feeling attracted to another person, then there's those feelings of shame because it's like, well, I've been taught that that is a problem yeah. to feel attracted to someone outside of my relationship. And actually it doesn't have to be. No. And and then the default, and then that's what makes them then lie yeah. and deceive their partner when actually if you were just honest about it and spoke to your partner about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, would, it would be mad if you did just stop finding other people attractive. That's impossible. Like how, that, how could that work? And I think people do feel guilty. And I mean, even talking from experience, like my past relationship, you know, we sort of broke up because um, she started having feelings for someone else. And she sort of said, well, you know, if, if, if this was the perfect relationship that we were going to be together for the rest of our lives, then I shouldn't be having these feelings towards anybody else. So, you know, that, that, that must be a reason. And, and for my part at the time, I was more jealous than I am now. And I was like, well, you know, if you're having feelings towards somebody else, then, then there's something wrong with this relationship, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and I think that that is not uncommon. Mm. Um, Do you think we're getting to a place now then where polyamory is becoming more common um, among, among people of our generation? I suppose, you know, older people, maybe not necessarily, but do you think it is becoming more and more common and we'll get to a point where monogamy is no longer seen as the norm? Or do you think we've still got a while to go until we get to that? Probably, I think we've got a while. I don't know. I feel like just from having done my show, this fringe, so I've done it every day for a month, and I have like a section in the show about being polyamorous, and can tell I could feel the frostiness of people in the audience when I bring it up. Sometimes, really? yeah, you you get like every. I found basically it would go down well if there were other polyamorous people in the room, but very frequently there weren't. And um, so there were some people coming who were polyamorous and, and, and that was like nice to see. And it was like, oh, right, I don't feel so alone and mad. Like there are other people out here. Um, but was... What do you think it is about it that people find so confronting? Do you think it's that it's like, is it just that basic sense of otherness that they find threatening? Or do you think it kind of makes them like confront their own relationships and think, you know, bring they bring their own judgments and their own biases. Yeah. And almost as like the people that feel threatened as like maybe they actually want to be polyamorous themselves. Yeah, well, I do sort of wonder that. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes when I'm feeling a bit sort of confrontational, I'll be like, well, everyone's just jealous, aren't they? You know, they're they're annoyed that they that, that there's other people who um are able to have these sort of sexually fulfilled lives and and they're not. Um, but even well, like I think it takes a degree. It takes a degree of self awareness and a degree of like self-worth to like almost allow yourself to do that if that's what you want yeah and to move away from the societal script and I guess some people aren't there yet on their sort of personal journeys so to speak. no I don't think so and I think maybe it's, it's just too much of a jump for some people isn't it and I think it's and I get it you know it's like I think a lot of people really want to feel safe in a relationship and they really um 
you know we're all we're all insecure beasts and we've all got lots of things that we that we worry about Mm. and i and i think it there's nothing more worrying than the thought of your partner going off and having sex with somebody else and you know are they going to be better at sex than me are they going to make my partner happier than i do is my partner going to like them more than me are they going to leave me for them um i know what you mean but my thought is more like as long as that partner is being like that's as long as that partner is being honest with me about that, that's better than someone cheating on me. Well, and yeah. and then, well, that, that, that's, that's what I find a bit mad about it really is because it's like, well, actually there's no reason for them ever to leave you for somebody else. If, if the, if, if they already have the option to go off and do that thing with that person, like really polyamory should take away a lot of that insecurity. Mm. And, I, and I had a joke about that in my show. It's like, you know, if you're worried about your partner running off with somebody else, monogamy is not really the answer because because of this thing like if someone feels attracted to somebody else and they're in a monogamous relationship they can't talk to their partner about it it gets to the point that the only thing they can do is either lie and act on it and have an affair or end the relationship and actually if they had the option to go and explore that with that other person and be honest with their partner about it then then actually uh, it, it, it saves the original relationship yeah I think that's the problem with monogamy is that the kind of the script of it and the way we've been conditioned to be monogamous is caught up in deception and lying. Yeah. And, you know, not, not being open. Yeah. And not being, and a lot of people, like I said, aren't for whatever reason able to be open in their communication with a partner. No. And it's easy to lie. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's, it's, uh, even if it, it's when it's a, something as, 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 as simple as like, do you think she's pretty? And, you know, mm-hmm. the amount of couples that you see, it's like, no, babe, no, I don't even look at any other, you know, if I go to the yeah. zoo, I don't even look at the girl animals. Like, you're the only girl I've ever looked at. And it's like, well, that's a lie immediately off the bat. If you, you can't even be honest about, well, yeah, obviously she's pretty and yeah, yeah, I find her attractive. Then then you're starting off on a base level of lying, aren't you? And it's like, you've got to mm. be able to at least communicate that without feeling too threatened, you know? Yeah, it's the lie. It's the lies that's the problem. I think. Yeah, it really. It's it's just a lot of people. Just that's their that's their instinct. That's well, yeah, <laughs> and I think that is sort of that is sort of what we get taught. I think, and especially man men. I think it's a sort of it's a sort of it's a it, it's a part of toxic masculinity as well. It's like well, men don't feel like they can be honest about their feelings. Um, they feel nervous to tell women exactly what they think because they think that they're going to be judged because they've got these these base primal uh, instincts. Um, Do you have a lot of friends who are polyamorous? Not really. No. <laughs> In fact, none. Uh, <laughs> apart from apart from May, who's um, who's just sort of navigating it. I think um, a lot of my close friends don't don't understand it at all. And um, give me all the usual things of like, oh, well, I'd go mad if my partner was off having sex with somebody else. And um, that can be hard because it, it, it's hard to it's hard to talk about with someone, you know, obviously it's good to talk to your partner and stuff. But occasionally you do want to talk about stuff with somebody without other than your partner. And you can't really when all of your friends are like, well, see, I told you, you know, it's like, oh, I'm feeling a bit funny about this at the moment. And people go, well, see, told you, polyamory is a sham and it's, it doesn't work and it's all you're lying to yourself. And you go, no, everybody has problems in their relationship. Everyone has to talk through stuff sometimes. Yeah. Nothing's, no, there's no 
there's no formula for just clean sailing all the way through a long-term relationship. Yeah, I think we have a very archaic view about what a relationship is supposed to be. And I think actually polyamory and the responses that you've just described and people, your friends having those reactions to it, it shows that we're actually really not in the like progressive 2022 space that people think we are. No, I don't think so. No, no, not, no, not here even. I, 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 I don't know if it's different in other countries, but, um, mm. but here I, I do. I mean, I even read something talking of it being an archaic practice that the only reason, you know, monogamy ever got invented was to sort of make alliances with other tribes or, you know, like when, like in Game of Thrones, it's like this country is going to marry this country so that we have an alliance. And that's really the only reason that we have monogamy. It's like you can just tie this person to this person. Um I mean, presumably there was some sort of form of marriage before that, but... Um... That's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, the more I think about it, the idea of marriage, I find absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> also, as a kid of divorced parents, it makes, it you know, puts the fear of God. Well, into... yeah, yeah. My, well, my partner's a child of divorced parents as well, yeah. so that, that might be why our relationship has like, turned into this as well. Like, she's a bit sceptical. Her grandparents are divorced as well. She's like, everyone gets divorced. Um, yeah <laughs> but it's uh yeah i think um it, it is it does feel a bit old-fashioned i mean especially the idea of marriage and 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 that is also patriarchal if you really want to dig into that and even very you much know, so, wearing yeah. the virginal white the dad giving her away her her taking the name i mean like my, my, my partner's argentinian and she doesn't know anybody who's ever given up their name and she finds it absolutely bizarre how many people here do. She's like, it's such a cultural thing here in Argentina. I, she doesn't, I don't know anyone who, who who's changed their name after getting married. I wanted to ask you a bit about, because um, I know you did a bit of comedy about lockdown and lockdown sex and how that was obviously a very strange time for everyone. Yes. People were kind of talking about this like boom of babies post lockdown because no one has anything to do but shag. Yeah. And it's like, actually is anyone really having sex in lockdown? Like we're sick at the sight of each other. Yeah, yeah. Just to see, you know, looking back at that strange time, how do you think that period of being locked down with your partner like affected your relationship? Um, yeah, I, I think definitely at the point, well, yeah, having said that, I have got a niece now who was a lockdown baby because- Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and my, par- really? my partner's brother was like, we didn't have anything to do other than shag at the beginning of the first lockdown. Um, oh. Good for them. Yeah, yeah, good for them. But like, yeah, I, I'm really surprised by it. I, 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 I'd say that for the first couple of months, we didn't, we didn't have sex at all, cause just because it was such a scary time, and it was like the thought of that. Um, yeah. And weirdly, like, there, there was a point where I just remember us being really ratty with each other, and it was just like, it just got, it did get to a point, I think, where we all just got a little bit um, cabin fevery with each other, didn't we? I think it was sort of like around sort of February 2021 I remember um we were a little bit like we need to get out of this house and we need to spend some time with some other people um and she went back to Argentina for a month then to see her family which was good I think we both were like we need a bit of space from each other now um but actually when I think back to it now like in a way I do feel like it actually strengthened our relationship and 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 in a lot of ways I've actually found it quite difficult um going back to normal life and um there were aspects of it even though it was awful um for the most part there were aspects of the lockdown that I found 
positive. And one of them was that I got to spend so much time with her. Yeah, I agree with you. I think even though it was obviously a horrible time and it was a very intense time to be in a relationship with someone who you were living with because you had no one else to hang out with, I think there was also something pleasantly simple about yeah. it and about the way of life and just about not having to cut because you know life now you're navigating each other's diaries you're navigating social things 100%. you're navigating work things events and it it's a lot and it can feel sometimes like a chore to oh must remember to see my partner must remember to spend time yeah. with my partner and there was something really pure I think about that time in lockdown yeah and it's like we've got too much time let's do a jigsaw puzzle I've never done that with you before yeah but that's really sweet that's what I mean yeah and I really liked it and it was like I'm not I don't I you know it's not like we'd ever move to a cabin in the woods together or something you know like like some couples do I don't think we could handle that but now it is like we were just having a conversation about it yesterday we were like god I really we really want to like do like a weekend away or something spend some time together but we haven't got any time until November because there's something happening and it's like stuff like that where you're looking at your diary and you're like oh god we literally don't have any time to do this for the next two months that's really yeah. depressing I know um, I think it's about it's about sort of trying to take those bits of lockdown that were positive and into finding ways to integrate them back into our life and actually yeah. So much of that, I think, is about just imposing boundaries around certain things and saying no more to certain Definitely. things to prioritize your partner. And it's it's hard to do that because I think particularly today we're sort of encouraged like say yes to everything take every opportunity don't miss out definitely on definitely it's it's the sort of grind culture isn't it it's like rise and mm. grind we've got to be grinding we're, we've got to be working the whole time if you've got work coming in then you're doing well and and um totally. and I think yeah especially in the lockdown I was like this has taught me something about work-life balance I'm really enjoying not having to work too much and I'm gonna learn from this and then the second I got opportunities I was like yes 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 said yes to everything and I was like oh yeah. I haven't learned anything at all I could really do yeah. like reassessing that I think it takes it takes time it takes time yeah. um I want to go back to, to talking about feel good quickly because I absolutely loved that show right. and one of the storylines in the second season of the show addresses how May's character um, had a sort of predatory, possibly abusive relationship with an older male comedian. And, you know, we touched on earlier the kind of the world of comedy being so rooted in late nights, yeah. alcohol. Um, and it's not hard to imagine something like that being quite common. And, you know, we all know about, you know, every industry has, you know, their kind of Me Too aspects to it. There have been plenty of male comedians that have been accused yeah. of sexual abuse and sexual assault so I, I just wanted to ask you as someone who's in that world you know do you think that is a situation that is improving does it still exist how do we make it better um very good questions that I don't necessarily I mean is it improving a bit I think does it still exist definitely yes um you do sort of hear stories and I think every, yeah like you say every industry's had like some high profile me too things happen but I feel like for for each of those high profile thing that comes out, there's about seven or eight that you hear about that nothing ever seems to come of. And um, I know that there are several WhatsApp groups amongst female comedians um, discussing who not to find yourself alone in a room with, who not to, you know, don't do that person's gig, don't go on, don't get in a car with him. 
Um, and so I think that like women are getting better at talking about it and, and uh, looking out for each other and flagging that kind of stuff up. But the problem, yeah, the problem is, is it is just the nature of the industry. Like you say, it's lots of late nights. So many people, there's no like central body for comedy. We don't work for a company. There's no HR. You can't go to someone if you're feeling uncomfortable about a situation. It's just every night is a different situation with different people. And it's ripe for abuse that um, from like, for the most part, it's really fun. And, and even the sort of blurring of the lines between friends and work colleagues. And I know a lot of people who've had sexual relations with other people in the industry and a lot of the time that's been really positive and nice. And, um, and so if, if, if people are acting in good faith, it can be really good, but unfortunately there are always like bad faith people who, who can mm. take advantage of it. Um, totally. And I suppose like what you mentioned, like unlike industries like Hollywood or music, I suppose, because even within, if you're work, if you're working in those industries, there's usually like a record label or a production company yeah. who liable for your well-being whereas if you're a comedian particularly if you're a young woman comedian you know traveling doing various gigs you know you you might have a manager or someone looking out for you who's an individual but there's no necessarily like you said like a body no there. no it's no exactly even with that I mean, most bands they go on tour with like the same crew and they have like the tour manager and that's all managed and like you say if someone's in a film or a tv show you know that TV show will have producers and they'll have people who are overlooking the production and uh, hopefully keeping an eye on it. As we know, they don't do a perfect job either, but like, um, but yeah, with comedy, it's so like piecemeal and a lot of comedians book their own gigs and might just do a one-off gig for one promoter with one, you know, with a different lineup of comedians each night. And so it's just all so disparate and, and, and the lines between, what's friendly and 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 flirty and what's professional and what's inappropriate are very blurred a lot of the time and I do think yeah unfortunately yeah you, yeah yeah there's and you hear just so many stories about comedians we, we've all heard loads and and some of them come out you know like Louis CK was a high profile one a few years ago and he was a hero of mine he's a big reason that I started doing stand-up in the first place and we all heard rumors about him doing inappropriate stuff before it came out. And I was always like, I can't believe it. I don't think it's true. And then it all came, turned out to be true. And, and so now you hear lots of things about other people and there's no, and none of it comes out. And, and so I am inclined to believe all of that now because it's, um, you gotta, you gotta believe women. And also it, it's usually true. Um, that's the other thing, isn't it? I think we, we have this, like, there are so many people who, like, don't believe all women. Like, you shouldn't have, like, a blanket rule to just believe people just because they say something. But then at the same time, it's like, who's going to make that false accusation? Like, who's going to who's gonna put themselves through the judgment of saying, hey, I was sexually assaulted or sexually attacked by... by I don't know. Someone. Why would you put yourself through yeah. that if it wasn't true? I don't know. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again, not to say it can't happen, but I think the 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 percentage of women who might make that up is so infinitesimally tiny that it's not worth worrying about really it's like yeah. the the vast 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 majority of people who would say something about it it's because it's true mm. and so i don't know why we're always focusing on um the vague possibility that someone might have made it up mm. when the very real likelihood is like they don't they don't make it up and it, it's nothing. yeah 
Well, it's yeah. promising to hear that more people are talking about it and, you know, female comics in particular are kind of telling each other about yeah people. But it's, you know, it, it just says you got to hope that one day those people, those accusations are made. Yeah, happen. you have, you have. Anyway. But like I say, there's always just like slight, even if it's not anything as, as severe as like a, a sexual assault allegation, it's like mm. you just see like older comedians being a bit creepy around the younger comedians. And, mm. you know, it's it's there's always just these lines and it's like, OK, you're not really breaking any laws here, but you're not. It's not what you're doing is not. Not okay. not okay. I don't know. It makes me nervous to get old sometimes, which it might be a controversial thing to say. But you're like, God, I hope, I hope that's just not a that comes with the with the territory of getting old. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I also think if you're having these conversations now, I don't think there's any risk of that. Um, it's the part of the show where I ask every guest to share a lesson in love. So this is something that you have learned from your previous relationship experiences that you'd like to share with the listeners. I guess a piece of advice. Yeah. What would your lesson in love be for us today? Um, well, I suppose we've spoken a lot about communication and 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 mm. sort of uh, honesty. Um, I suppose another big thing that I've learned and I sometimes struggle with is is to really um, <laughs> try to take pleasure in your partner's. Uh, pleasure even if you're not there even if you're not a part of it um some like old relationships that I've had have been real struggle because um they and I um would get FOMO you know and it's just like um and uh and so I think um I'm not articulating this very well, but no, I know what sense? you mean. It's about it's about not being in a codependent relationship, not being a codependent, and and allowing your partner to go off and have fun on their own. And sometimes yeah. you're going to have a really fun time without them, and sometimes you'll just be sat at home and you'll be quite bored, and they'll be having the best time ever. And yeah. sometimes it's hard for you to to deal with, especially if poly with polyamory. You know, they might be having sex with another person, yes, and yeah. you might just be at home. Um, but even if it's something I, I you know, even with, if it's something as simple as like they're off with their friends or something, I think a lot of people yeah. really struggle to like um, let go. <laughs> yeah, um, I know what you mean. I think so much of that is just about allowing yourselves autonomy within your relationship, because just because you're with a partner, you know, it shouldn't compromise time on your own or time with other people. You, know, you shouldn't be in each other's pockets. And I think you know, an example of this, I recently, oh, I am single, but I just went away on my own for the first time. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I thought how this is something I would still want to be able to do, even if I was with a yeah. partner. Yeah, and fair enough. Because actually, it's really important, I think, to go away and just really prioritize yourself and just have no noise around you. You don't have to be navigating anyone else's schedules or yeah. wants in terms of, you know, self-awareness and learning who you are, I think it's really important. And you should still be doing that even when you're in a relationship. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Finding time to, and, and yeah, being independent of each other, which I think it can be quite scary sort of talking about that and because it makes it feel like, yeah. It's like what we're talking about with the, with the sort of outdated idea of monogamy. I think it kind of romanticizes um, codependence really, doesn't it? It's like... All, all the language that we use, oh, my other half, um, you know, things like that. It's like the suggestion that you're only half a person and unless you're with this other person and you can't function unless you're part of this unit. And it's like, it's not very healthy. And, and 
Um, and I think when I talk about being polyamorous and my partner going off and doing things on her own and, and us having sort of independent lives, I think a lot of people who are monogamous, they sort of seem to pity me and make it, it seems like I, I, we don't have a very close relationship. And, um, because it, it is seen as so romantic to not be able to live without your partner. If your partner dies, then you'll die too. Romeo and Juliet, you know, if my if I wake up and find out my partner's dead, I'm going to poison myself straight away without finding out anything about it. You know, it's like the, these are the these are the stories that we really romanticize, and um, and I think actually, yeah, sort of being being able to be your own person um, is is really important. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a lovely note to end on. Um, I should tell the listeners that Jack is going on tour at the beginning of next year. So keep an eye out on his social media to get tickets for that. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at I am Jack Barry. I did get that right. Yes, absolutely. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And that is it for today. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you are a new listener to Millennial Love, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. If you are more of a visuals kind of person, you can watch us on uh, Millennial Love on Independent TV. Um, we are not in the studio at the moment because we are currently changing offices, but we will be back in the studio soon. Uh, keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. You just have to search Millennial Love. I will see you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.